our fundamentalists. Welcome back to another episode of your favorite brown babes, breaking down taboos and dissecting Desi culture across the diaspora. I'm Faiza. And I'm Mac. And uh, today we're continuing our series on exploring the LGBTQIA community within the South Asian diaspora. And to that end, we are so honored to have with us Osman Khalid. Osman is a super queer Muslim immigrant from Lahore, Pakistan. Were you born there, though, Osman? Do you I got was. the polio shot like I do? I, yes. I do. I do. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, Osman grew up in Northern Virginia, went to college at VCU in Richmond, and currently lives in Washington, D.C. He's a writer, mainly focusing on writing about growing up and coming out as gay in a conservative Pakistani Muslim family. Osman, welcome, and thank you so much for... Um, your candor and your willingness to talk to us today. Thank you for having me. This is really, I'm excited. This is awesome. You guys are doing something uh, really dope. Thank you. We're excited to have you. And we're really excited to hear um, about your journey because what we've seen in having these conversations is that it looks so different even within uh, the immigrant diaspora, the South Asian diaspora. So Mm. I'd like to start with your journey in particular um when did you first know or realize that you were queer and did you even really have a frame of reference for what that meant for yourself within Pakistani culture within Islam not no I I I didn't have a frame of reference I mean I feel like it for me it, it, it came in kind of like two parts where I first realized I was different from everyone else just because I was, I feel like I was exhibiting more kind of feminine characteristics. You know, I was really like, I remember my like aunts and uncles when I was in Pakistan, they would like, actually mainly my aunts, not my uncles, but they would like dress me up and stuff and put makeup on me. Um, my cousins did that here too when I, when I came to the States um, as well. And I guess at that point, I didn't have any concept of really gender, right? Because you're like, you're like, everyone's the same, people just do different things. And then I think once like, I started getting a concept of like, basically gender roles, right? Like what our parents were showing us, what my aunts and uncles were showing me and what my cousins were talking about. That's when I kind of was like, okay, there's something really, there's different, there's some difference, right? There's like a there's some friction here because I am not like my uh, cousins. I am not like my aunts and uncles and uh, I'm not like the people that I'm growing up with. You know what I mean? In, in more way, in more than one way. Right. Um, and then I think, I feel like right when I think puberty <laughs> around puberty, when kind of kids be getting a little bit rowdy and stuff, um, you know, their hormones are raging. <laughs> um I think that's when I really kind of realized, okay, like I have an attraction to the same sex, right? And I'll be a little bit, I literally remember the first time that I like felt that. And it was when I heard like, it was a remix of a Spanish song called Papi Chulo, right? And I was like, I think I was like 11 or, tw- or 12 or yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Oh my God, I'm yeah. so glad that you know what it is. Okay. And uh, I I remember like it was a remix of it and it had in, in the song, there's like a, there's a woman making a very suggestive sound. Right. Um, but the remix of it had a guy making that sound. And I remember I was like, oh, oh, 
like, okay, what's going on here and stuff. Um, so I think that's when I realized I had an attraction to, to men, you know, but at the same time, I was already kind of like, I don't want to be different. Like, I, I just want to be the same as everyone else. And, and by that point, you know, you had, I had heard about kind of like, I mean, everyone knows like kids, kids are fast. Kids learn really fast. Right. So like, I was already hearing like the word like gay and the, the F slur kind of like everywhere in school and stuff. So I already knew that it was something that I wasn't supposed to be quote unquote. Right. Um, so I feel like when I got the, when I first got those feelings of like arousal, right. Like male arousal, I, I my instinct was to repress them. So yeah, that's kind of when I figured it out. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. Um, and I, I have a question about what you mentioned about, you know, you have like exhibiting more feminine characteristics. Um, Alok Menon, who's this queer rights activist, has talked a lot about uh, mm-hmm. how there's like um, there's an acceptance early on for younger kids when you're you know like under five and yeah. you know you play dress up and you put makeup on little boys and you put them in you know girl shoes and all of that is fine up until like at an age where it's acceptable mm-hmm. and and a lot of kids who talked about it, it's like five or six where it's suddenly like you can't do that anymore this is not okay. Mm-hmm. And so for someone like you who has like more feminine characteristics or is, is exhibiting that, did you, was there a point where you realized that this, this wasn't okay anymore or that you knew that being different in that way was something that you couldn't outwardly show or had to repress aside from like just the sexual part of it, just like even just your demeanor and your, mm-hmm. like how you present yourself in the world. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was explicitly told to me by, you know, like family members, you know, like they, they'll call it out. And you guys know brown people, we don't hold back, you know, there's no filter. People will say exactly what's on their mind, especially if it's your family, you know what I mean? Um, so like an example would be like, I remember my mom would always get on me about uh, talking with my hands, right? So I would talk with my hands a lot and stuff. And she would be like, what is this? Why are you doing this? You know, like, blah, 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 blah. like you're talking like a woman and stuff. Um, so, and, and that's like just an example. But then as you grow up and you start kind of expressing yourself in different ways, whether it's like through the clothing you're wearing or, or whatever, the music that you're listening to, um, it's still it it just keeps going it just keeps going like you know you're not supposed to listen to this why are you listening to Britney Spears like you should not be listening to her or Destiny's Child like things like that you know um so it's one of those things where in our community these things are called out directly you know sorry where were you during this period were you in Lahar were you in Richmond like during the period where you first realized started exhibiting the feminine characteristics or mannerisms, um, feeling these feelings of arousal and then being called out by family and... That I think started here because, because like you said, you know, there's that kind of age cutoff where that shit just gets like, it's not allowed anymore. So I came to the States when I was like three or four. And then, so, like, kind of right after that, when I was here, and when we first came here, we were living with, like, you know, all my cousins and all my aunts, and it was, like, a very traditional Pakistani family and stuff, and and plus everyone was just coming here, so 
we were all kind of living together to save money, you know? So it really did start, it, it, it that all started here. Um, when I really started realizing that I was different, that I was exhibiting different characteristics than all the other guys my age. Um, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I asked that in particular only because we start policing kids this kind of behavior very, very early on. I think mm-hmm. there's this idea that it's not until you hit puberty, it's not until you're, you're, you know, your hormones are raging or you, you have, you, you realize that you're gay because you're attracted to like, you know, you're turned on by like a, a movie star or something like that. Mm-hmm. But we start mm-hmm. policing kids' behavior very early on and we ingrain in them that this is wrong right and that even before you you know or you can identify or have a frame of reference for what you're feeling or what you might identify as we're already telling you it's wrong so Mm -hmm. i think it's important that it's like we you separate the identity piece of it from the like sexual preference piece of it because i feel like it gets muddied and people don't want to talk about it because it seems taboo and it's like no we you Every, every person that I've met that's queer is like, I knew from a very early age mm-hmm. and I knew from a very early age that it was wrong because everybody around me was telling me that it was wrong. Whether they knew it or not, like whether they yeah. knew they were telling me or not is is besides the point. You know what I mean? Like they're, yeah. it's the way they, then they're, they feel open to say things, right? Like, like, for, like if I remember like when my, um, I mean, gay marriage was like the debate when I was growing up in high school and middle school. And I remember all the comments that I would hear from my parents and friends and stuff like that, you know? So, um, yeah, it, it's, it, we notice it. And, and, and it's, it's told to us that from a very early age. Isman, we started to get into this a little bit offline, um, but I, I really want to hear your take on it and flesh it out with you a little further. We, we were talking about um, the concept of coming out within Western society, right? Mm-hmm. And how it's... it's um, propagated as the only way to really live your truest, most authentic life and self. Um, But the reality for immigrants within the LGBTQIA community, it's very different. For some, it's a genuine safety concern. For Mm -hmm. others, it's just not the preferred route to take because of um, family dynamics, um, social responsibility, you know, whatever it may be. Um, can you talk a little bit about what what impact, if any, that had on your decision to ultimately come out and just your path to that point? I mean, to be honest with you, absolutely no impact because the Western idea of coming out, I, I, I never resonated with because it, it is very like, you know, I, do you guys remember the It Gets Better campaign? The yeah, It Gets Better yeah. campaign. So, like, while that shit is going on, right? Like, you're telling me it gets better. All these celebrities are telling me that it's... All these white celebrities, actually, are telling me that it gets better. Uh, no, sweetheart. Like, no. It, it, that's not the case for a lot of people, okay? And and there's this idea, for some reason, that, like, there's no gay people <laughs> in the other side of the, on the other side of the world. You know what I mean? That America is somehow the the... Uh, what do you call it? Like the blueprint for for what LGBTQ plus rights are supposed to be. But this country has a long way to go, and the world has a long way to go in general. Um, but I, I never resonated with with that. You know, like they, and plus all the stories that you would even see on like TV, 
would be all these like really lighthearted, you know, like, oh, we accept you for who you are, son, you know, or whatever. And it's like, listen, I've gone through all the scenarios in my head and and not one of them is this, right? Um, so, I mean, like best case scenario, like they ship me off to Pakistan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so it's it's one of those things where where you you know, like as a queer brown person, you're just kind of like, nah that that that's not a message for me that's a message for other people you know that's a message for a very specific group within queer people they might think that they're you know reaching so many people by saying three simple words of it gets better but i mean it does it <laughs> yeah so let me ask you if if that did not resonate with you and like you were saying, your best case scenario in your head was being shipped off to Pakistan because you yeah. were expecting such a poor response mm-hmm. um, from your conservatively Muslim family. What what ultimately drove you to come out then? I, the way that I describe this is that I think in a queer person's life, I think there's always this fuck it moment where they are faced with like a fork in the road. They can either keep living as uh, like like a double life as as you know a, a seemingly straight Muslim uh, Pakistani or I could like just say the truth you know and that was the exact situation that I was in with my parents when I came out like it was it was really I mean the whole conversation stemmed from them they were like, why aren't you getting married? Like, why don't you get married to a girl? Like, we're trying to, like, figure this out. You have to give us a reason. And then they asked me straight up, you know, they asked me, like, are you gay? Do you, If they hadn't asked you, do you think you'd say it eventually or? No. Would you? Yeah. Yeah. To be honest with you, I, I, I and I told my parents this, I was like, I wasn't planning on ever telling you, like, take it to the grave was my motto I was like I'm not going to tell them because I already know what the answer is going to be you know um I know my parents better than they know me for sure you know like I know I know what's in their heads um they don't know what's in mine (laughs) but like it's it's yeah I I yeah (laughs) you wrote a really beautiful piece about coming out to your conservative Muslim parents for Brown Girl magazine and it actually brought Mahek and I to tears um so I was wondering if you could share a little bit about coming out to your parents. And then also in the article, you mentioned going back to your apartment and processing their reaction and what that meant for you. So I'd love to know a little bit more about what that really meant, what processing that reaction meant. Yeah, I mean, the day that I came out was was a very intense day, obviously. Um, One, because it was uh, the last day of Eid al-Fitr. Right. So we were like done celebrating with our families and we were just kind of hanging. I was just hanging out at home. And at the time, it was just me and my parents that were there. Um, um, And it was also Father's Day. (laughs) So it was. uh, Yeah, I don't. And I kind of realized that stuff afterwards. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Like, I guess God's timing. Right. God's timing. Um, But basically what happened was I was going to go back to my apartment um, uh, from my parents' house. Uh, I went upstairs to say bye to my parents. I was in their room. And then uh, my dad just kind of went into it. You know, he was just like, uh, you know, why aren't you getting married? And it it honestly started out pretty, like, casual. You know, when, like, an auntie or uncle would be like, oh, like, when are you going to get married now? Like, when are you going to, like, make us happy and stuff like that, you know? 
Um, but, and then I, usually I just kind of brush that shit off because that's what I'm used to doing. I'm just like, oh, whatever, like whatever, like, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna kind of keep you at bay, you know, by just ignoring it and brushing it under, brushing it under the carpet. Um, but then he got really adamant about just getting an answer from me. Right. Like, so, and my mom was kind of sitting there too. And she was like, you have to tell us, like, you have to give us a reason where your parents, we deserve to know, you know, why you're kind of holding this over us basically. Um, and then I, I remember my dad saying specifically in Urdu, also, this is an Urdu, so it was just for some reason so oh, fucking awkward, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, this is too serious of a conversation to have in Urdu, and I don't know how to, like, say these words. Um, but I remember my dad said the only the only valid reason that he sees uh, for a Muslim man or a woman to not get married is if they're gay or lesbian, right? And then he was like, if you are, then tell us. If you are, just tell us, Right. Um, and he kept repeating that. And in that moment, I remember just being really in shock. You know, like I really, honest to God, felt like um, I was in the middle of an ocean, right? Like in the middle of the Atlantic and there was nothing I could do, nothing I could grab onto for safety, you know? And I remember like just in my head, I, I, I was thinking, what do I, what am I supposed to say right now? You know, what are you supposed to do in this very moment? And like I said before, you know, like I, it, it was that, that was my fuck it moment, right? Like I, I had two pads that I could take either say yes or no, you know, I, and I just thought like really quickly, kind of, if I say no, I'm just going to keep living this life. I'm just going to keep living this life of like hiding and being ashamed of who I am, you know? And I don't want to be ashamed of who I am. Why should I have to, why should I be ashamed of who I am? Because, and it's because I'm so scared of like what my parents' reaction was going to be, you know? And so then it, and I don't really know if it was like a decision that I'm actively made, but I just said, yes. I just said, yes, I am. And uh, my dad's first reaction was, okay, cool, you can leave now. You can go back to your apartment. And, uh, but I couldn't move. Like, I, I physically couldn't move. And at that point, I was already crying, right? Like, I was already crying and stuff. And my mom was pretty shocked. Like, she was shocked, you know. And, and to be honest with you, she was silent the rest of that kind of hour, right? So... And so basically I'm standing there and I'm looking at my parents and my dad's like tell, basically telling me to leave. And, and I just said, I just, all I could muster up was I, I can't leave without talking to you. You know, I can't leave without knowing what's in your mind right now. And that's exactly what they, that's exactly what he did. He told me exactly what was on his mind. And it's everything that you would expect from a conservative Muslim family. Um, and I do want to, I do want to preface it or not preface, but just add in that I have already recognized that my parents' attitudes and reactions are a product of centuries and centuries of prejudices and, and, and uh, false information um, that they had no control over being taught to them, you know? Um, so I don't, I, I've never held their reactions against them. I've forgiven them for everything that they've seen, even though they haven't asked for forgiveness. Um, 
But yeah, I just, I think it's important to kind of note that, you know what I mean? Because I think a lot of these times, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I really appreciate you you saying that because there's a lot of intergenerational trauma that occurs yeah. in situations mm-hmm. like this, especially. I had two very quick questions about Please. this. And thank you so much for sharing your story and being so candid. Of course. One, do you think your dad asked because he already knew? And two, do you think your mom was shocked that you actually admitted it? Not that you were? Wow, those are really good questions. Um, My dad actually at one point said... He was like, I've known since you were 12. And he said that I was just, yeah, 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 that was intense. Um, And he said that I was just hoping that you would just straighten out, basically. The older you get, you know, like he thought it was just a phase or something like that. I remember one time he caught me making out with myself in the mirror and he was so pissed off. And I was like, maybe that's when he knew. But I don't know. I just call that self-love. But my mom... She, I mean, and since then I've had conversations with her um, and she said, no, like she had no idea. Like she wasn't, she, she said like, of course, like there were some kind of feelings, right? Like that she thought, but she said like, it never, it barely crossed her mind as a possibility, Um, which I think speaks to a lot of like uh, common attitudes in our culture of of I feel like the thought process is like if he's if he's Muslim he can't be gay you know what I mean and vice versa if he's gay he can't be Muslim um so I think it it's a little bit of like a denial kind of thing right like you only see what you want to see um so yeah and our parents also hold us to very high regards and and they expect a lot from us um so I think there's so many factors that go into uh, realizing it or not you know yeah so when you when you process that was that part of like you coming to terms with it like recognizing where they are in their lives and what they've been taught or like what was that how did you get to where you are now which is to forgive them and understand where they're where they're coming from therapy a lot of therapy and antidepressants um uh (laughs) a lot of work honestly uh after right after I came out like that was probably like one of the darkest, I mean, it was the darkest moment of my life. Um, And I've experienced a lot, you know, I've experienced loss. We've experienced a lot of things with our family and stuff. So it, it, it was a different kind of hurt. Uh, It was a hurt that cut really deep, you know? Um, And so like the months after and just like trigger warning, but um. I was really suicidal, you know, I, I was suicidal the second that I left their, the house after I came out to them. Um, and I think I mentioned this in my article too, but you know, I, I was yeah, literally, yeah, I was yeah. literally looking for the safest place for other people, for me to crash my car into, um, while listening to really sad songs. I don't even remember what I was listening to, but, um, but yeah, like, it, it was really tough. It was really tough. I was really much so at the bottom. And and when I went back to my, like, when I got back to my apartment, I, I was like, okay, like, somehow I've made it. Somehow I made it back to my home, right? Um, but what I did was, I didn't, and I don't know why I chose to do this, but I called my neighbor, right, before I got home. And I was like, hey, I can't be alone right now. Um, and I went to her house and 
she made me this amazing hookah and <laughs> gave me some drinks and was like, all right, here. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it, and right then and there, I mean, she was trying her best. My neighbor was trying her best to comfort me. And um, her boyfriend actually is a Pakistani Muslim as well. And he was there. And, and I, we had had conversations about, you know, homosexuality and Islam, queerness and Islam. And, and his opinions were very cons- much more conservative than mine, right? Because I, I, at that point, I'm already kind of like, I know that it's not wrong for me to be gay. But um, e- even he was just like, listen, I don't know what the fuck is right or wrong. But all I know is no one should ever make you feel like this. You know, like, you, no one should ever feel like the way you're feeling right now. Like, that is just beyond. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, processing it was was just like, I'm still processing it. I'm still processing it, actually. And I don't even expect myself to fully process it, like, ever, you know? I, I, I'm never gonna, and I realized that, actually. Like, I was like, I, I put so much pressure on myself to be all right. And to be okay all the time when, no, fuck that. Fuck that, man. It sucks. Like, being queer and Muslim sucks, okay? Like, um, I love that I'm gay. Like, don't get me wrong. But it's it, it has been a tough journey. You know what I mean? But I appreciate the journey because it's obviously made me a fucking strong ass bad bitch, you know? <laughs> Usman, I have to pause here and just A commend you for your bravery um not just in going through what you went through but willing to talk about it to help others who may be in the same position um i want to thank you for honoring us and trusting us with this story it really like i don't even know you and listening to that is really messing me up right now that's a that's a really incredible and devastating thing to have gone through. Um, if you're comfortable, I'd love to know where things are with your parents now. You know, you talked about how you're still in the process of coming to terms with it, processing mm-hmm. all the layers. Mm-hmm. Um, you have forgiven them and you, it's so amazing to me that you mentioned um, the intergenerational trauma that you know that they've dealt with and because of that you've forgiven them but I wonder if there's any um awareness on their end like do you have any insight as to what their journey has been after you came out 100% I mean the night that I came out I remember laying in bed and uh and calling my mom and I, and it, it was a bit of an instinct to do because I was basically crying myself to sleep. Um, and I called her. She picked up. She didn't say salam or anything. And all I asked her was, are you okay? And she was, and she just answered her honest thing. You know, she was like, no, I'm not okay. Like, she was like, I'm, I'm, I'm in shock, you know, and, you know, and then, obviously so much more but I don't know it, it when I think about those things I think I was really everything was about them at that point every every little thing was about 
them and them only. My life was centered around my parents. You know, my sexuality was centered around my parents. Um, my sexual ex- expression, my gender expression was all centered around what my parents wanted. Um, and I realize that now, but at that, at that time, you know, like they were the only things that were on my mind. Um, and the fucked up thing is like at that point too, like it, it seeps into your mind and you're kind of like, are they right? Are they right about me? Like, hold on, hold up for a second. Am I not supposed to be gay? You know what I mean? So it fucks you up even more because you, you start question you, you take so long to get to a point where you're like, all right. I'm good with who I am. You know, I know I'm gay. I'm not going to change. But then once that kind of experience shakes you, that kind of coming out, that trauma shakes you, you know, it's you a little bit of a like regression to like being way back. It's like you're being pushed back into the closet, right? Um, and that was a long time ago. That was like, what, like four years ago or something like that. Um, time is a social construct. I don't care about it. But now, as of recent, you know, like, our conversations have started again, you know, like, where um, we, where she's, you know, calling me more and more and, and, and trying and, um, and, you know, I mean, and my, I also have two brothers, you know, who, like, mind you, like, I love my family, like, to the absolute death, you know, like, I love them with all my heart and soul. Um and I know that deep down they have the best, they want the best for me. Um, but there's a long way to go. You know, there's a long, long way to go. There's, there has to be so much that has to be done in order for me to heal. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's really common for our families, especially in our culture. And I think it's really common for all families. I feel like that you brush all these emotional issues under the rug and you never talk about them. Don't talk about your feelings. Um, and, and the reason being, I don't fucking know. I really don't know, but it's like, you're just supposed to forget about these things, but it's something I can't forget about, you know, because it's really been the focal point of my entire existence, you know? Um, so, I mean, I think we're making we're making progress is what I'll say. But I will say it's it's tough, but I do appreciate their efforts. You know what I mean? Like uh it might not always be in the way that I want them to do it, but I'd rather us move some like move forward in some capacity than nothing at all, than just kind of being you know, just at a stalemate, like a cold war kind of situation, which is what it's been for the past kind of year since I started writing about it and writing about coming out, you know? Um, and I think that's actually probably what fueled it, what probably kind of kickstarted them actually needing to talk about this shit. Oh, wow. So you started writing before you came out to them? After, after. Okay. But yeah, 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 after. Okay. I, but like last year is when I kind of like publicly came out to like uh pretty much like northern virginia and dc area um and essentially the the purpose being behind that was i needed to become unmarriable in this like community because um i was still kind of getting pressured to get married to a girl um which is again a very common thing a very very common thing unfortunately um and i've met several people who have 
had to go through that, had to go down that route, unfortunately. Um, well, I won't say unfortunately, because there's some beautiful kids that come out of, you know, like kids are a blessing always. So like, I won't say it's totally unfortunate, but it's a difficult journey to go through, you know? And yeah. And that wasn't for you because, you know, they, they've, that was a decision that they made to go through with it for better, for worse, but that was right, for you. For so I love that you were like, I need to, I need to put this out there so that people, I won't get any more wrist thugs. Like this is the way I'm yeah, I can't do the wrist thugs, man. I can't do them. Yeah. Well, that's what's so interesting to me when you mentioned that your dad said he'd known since you were 12 and expected or hoped that you would just kind of grow out of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you hear it, it sounds jarring, but mm-hmm. when you think about it in the context of Pakistani Muslim culture, it's, very common it's not that hard to believe right yeah yeah yeah. every behavioral issue with a boy get him married so they're daiga see that daiga get him married yeah get him a wife who nags him get him a couple kids he will be so goddamn tired he won't have any energy left if i I may if i may mention actually that that fact in and of itself you know the fact that i was even going through that for me highlighted like the intersection of misogyny and homophobia, because I realized that even as a queer Muslim, I have this privilege over a hypothetical wife and her sexual agency doesn't matter whatsoever. All that matters is that she serves this purpose to, (laughs) I was going to say something really inappropriate, but I'm not, I'm going to (laughs) backtrack. But to basically what you said, <laughs> to fix the guy, right? No matter what the issue is. So yeah, it, it, yeah. I love but, that you acknowledge yeah. that. Mahek and I are like nodding our heads off. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love that you acknowledge Exactly. Yeah, 100%. The, the kid is giving parents problems, push him onto a wife, she'll handle mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And if she can't handle it, she ain't woman enough. You right, know what I mean? Right, yeah. right. It's, it's her responsibility, it's her <sighs> duty. It's her religious this. duty. It's, it's her divine her duty. duty, you know? Um, well, you bring that up. So I would like to know, uh, you know, you grew up conservative Muslim. You told your parents on Eid. What is your relationship with religion now, with Islam now? I wholeheartedly um, believe that Islam was a religion that was at its very conception Um birthed uh divinely however you want to think about it um uh for the liberation of the oppressed you know Uh, the first muslims were slaves you know so i i apply that theory to to islam right now and i think um well like we've been getting it all wrong because there's a whole category of people and not just queer people and these right like like insanely persecuted um so many other sects of islam that have been persecuted uh, um you know so i ha- will never ever say that i'm not a muslim right um but what i will say is that that i i don't identify with kind of the mainstream muslim society right uh, because i i think even in america like progressive muslims aren't that progressive you right like uh, it, it, I've I've encountered a lot of um, a lot of uh, we respect you, but we don't accept you mentality, yeah. you know. Um, 
And the thing is, I'm not looking for anyone's acceptance because for me to want your acceptance would be for me to admit that you have some sort of power over me, power over my sexuality, power over my, the autonomy that I have over my own body, you know? And that's not the case. I don't want your acceptance. I am not looking for it. I've accepted myself and that's it. Okay, I'm done. That's it. I'm done with this conversation. Like there's there's nothing more that I can ask you. I I just I have to reaffirm your earlier statement that you were the strongest, baddest bitch. I, I'm done. Do the outro, Fiza. Cut it off. So I, I think it's so I love that. I really appreciate that perspective and that approach because you don't see it that often in the in the mainstream muslim narrative right you don't see that Mm -hmm. talked about it like what is it icnyu um (laughs) right 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 whatever it is so i think for someone so and i very much identify with you identifying as muslim but not necessarily with like the mainstream interpretation Mm -hmm. of it because i Mm -hmm. i joke that like i i still say that i'm muslim so my mom doesn't cry um Mm -hmm. (laughs) but there is, and I think for me, it's almost like a a stubborn thing too, where I'm I'm, I'm not going to let you tell me whether or not I'm Muslim. Exactly. I'm not going to let you take that away from me just because exactly. you don't agree with how I live mm-hmm. my life, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so even if I'm not super, I'm not practicing. Like I, can't, I need to stop qualifying. I don't practice, but I still identify because it because it was part of my life for so long mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. something that I still um, use as a way to connect with my family. My mother is practicing and I have, mm-hmm. my, I have many uh, like uh, close friends that are practicing. My cousins whom I love dearly still practice. And so that is a way that I can connect with them. And I don't want that part of my identity taken away from me because of mm-hmm. some outside external narrative about what it is to be Muslim. So I totally appreciate that. And I, I, yeah, snap, snap. That's all I have to say about that. I think that's great. <laughs> and, and I will say, like, my relationship with Islam, my faith has 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 been tested, right? That's, that's like, the whole kind of basis of what we're told our whole lives is that this is a test of your faith, this whole life. Um, so, of course, my faith has gone up and down, you know? Like, I've lost it. I've gained it back. Um, and I, and But I feel like, and someone did ask me this, uh, like, last year sometime, and they said, like, you know, what how do you feel about being about Islam? Right? Like, what do you like, what is your relationship with it? And I said, like, I feel responsible for Islam, you know, I feel responsible to defend this kind of life that I that I have these morals that I have these values that I have, because at the end of the day, there's these Islamic principles, these words from the Quran have got have gotten me through so much of my life now, you know what I mean? Um, God created us in his image, right? Like these things have reverberated through my head of like, I, God does not make mistakes. You know what I mean? I'm not a mistake because that's what the world just keeps telling you. But Islam, I didn't pick this. Exactly, exactly. But Islam never told me that. The Quran never told me that I was a mistake. The Islam never told me that. You know what I mean? The so, people yeah. did. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I love that. Islam, I'm really, again, blown away by your um, strength, your courage. But I'm, 
I'm also acutely aware that it hasn't been a picture of strength and courage throughout, right? And you've described in your writing and even in our conversation, some of the lowest lows you've, you've experienced, and you alluded to a little bit right now how you got through those lows. What would you say to another young Pakistani Muslim or Indian Hindu or Sri Lankan Christian uh, kid who is either out or not out. Mm -hmm. um, what advice do you give for the struggle, for the road ahead and how to kind of chin up and get through it the best way possible? I would be super real with them, you know, and say that you are probably going to spend the majority of your life uh, questioning your own existence, um, questioning your own place in this universe, um, uh, on this planet, right? And, and you will probably ask a lot of questions such as, why am I here? Why did you put me here? Why would you do this to me? Am I being punished? Um, and the important thing is to remember is... Um, man, there had to be a very specific series of events um, for you to exist in this world in and of itself, you know, for you, for your body to be created, for a soul to be breathed into you, you know, to be conscious is a miracle in and of itself. And that is no mistake. That is an absolutely no mistake. No matter what people have been telling you, no matter what you yourself may tell yourself at times, always come back to that. Always come back to the fact that like your existence in this universe is, is nothing short of divine, you know, absolutely not. And no one has any control over your body. Like it is yours. It is yours alone, you know? Um, and it's not going to be easy. It's going to be really hard sometimes. And unfortunately, like, unfortunately, a lot of people don't make it through, right? And that's just the sad, sad reality of things. Um, you're going to have to do things that you might be super uncomfortable with, you know, in your life to keep yourself protected, to keep yourself, um, um, your, keep your mind protected, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, radical self-love is 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 key to, to everything that you will go through radical self-love for yourself just waking up in the morning for yourself just looking at yourself in the mirror um for you speaking right now for you being for having the ability to say these words and converse with people that affirm you and you know like you'll find someone, you will find people, you will find people that, that will make you feel so valid, you know, in every single way. Um, it might take a while, but it'll fucking happen. Yeah. Would you say it gets better? <laughs> I, I would say... Bring it back to the circle. <laughs> I would say it's going to get a hell of a whole lot worse than it's going to get when, until it gets better, <laughs> basically. That's fair. That's yeah. Fair. Yeah. 
and that applies for a lot of things you know trauma in general like processing it it's gonna get worse before it gets better yeah I mean that's the thing with trauma that's why people feel like skip over that part the processing Mm -hmm. part because it means you have to go to the lowest of the lows Mm -hmm. you have to feel your feelings in order to get Mm -hmm. you have to like go through your feelings in order to get over them and that's the hardest Mm -hmm. part and that's why you have intergenerational trauma and that's why you have people walking around with all of this like baggage and you keep repeating the same mistakes from your parents from past Mm -hmm. relationships because you don't ever actually take the time to process it because it's really Mm -hmm. really difficult it's super challenging and that's why everybody needs to go to therapy yeah yeah Yeah. and and I will say like no one no one tells you how painful healing is no one tells you how painful it is it is a it is a process that will take everything out of you um but it's a process that that will give everything back to you and more yeah that gave me chills because it is very very true yeah um i do want to ask what has been the biggest lesson learned from this experience what are you most like proud of and what has what's the thing that you will keep um with you for the rest of your your life I think me existing as a gay Muslim simply like to open conversations up like these and amplify these issues and and, and my experience in in any way, like like we mentioned earlier to help other people is, is the biggest takeaway for me. Like there's, I remember after I, I remember after I um released my coming out article on Brown Girl magazine, um, a friend of mine that I had known from college reached out to me and and she told me that she read my 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 article and decided to come out to her family as bisexual. And that shit like killed me. Like that shit it's like making me tear up right now, you know, like to 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 hear someone just simply say, I identify with what you're going through. That's it. Like, that's it for me. You know, it's really all I fucking need. And it's really the whole purpose of me even talking about this shit and putting my, putting my shit out there, you know, like in an ideal world, I wouldn't have to um, expose my trauma and expose my journey in order for people to understand what it's like for us. You know, what it's like for queer Muslims or some queer Muslims. I don't want to generalize, but it's necessary and I'm fucking happy to do it. And and if my words and if I'm good with words, then then God must have given me that talent for some sort of reason. Right. Um, and if it's if that's this, then hell yeah. Then then yes. Like I I feel like I feel like. My purpose in life is to like really just be someone who uplifts others as much as possible. You know what I mean? No matter what, no matter if you're gay or whatever, like people go through so much shit in life that they don't talk about, that they don't let themselves talk about. You know what I mean? And we all just like sometimes need someone who's just going to be like, Hey, you're going to be fine. Like you're going to be okay. You know? We need people, like, we need people. We need human contact. Fuck this pandemic. Um, But, yeah, like, that's my biggest takeaway. Like, 
like we're all here for each other. We should all be here for each other in every single way, you know, emotionally. Yeah. Thank you for that. And Mahek, what has been your lesson learned in this episode? I've got so many. My primary lesson learned is that I think I've cried like more than half the episodes we've recorded this season. I think that's a me problem. It's fine. <laughs> um, I think there's three big takeaways that I have. And all things that were prompted by um, things Asmanyu said. The first is when we were talking about how South Asians start policing children's bodies at such a young age. It's so ingrained, dude. Like, I consider myself, um, and I'm sorry, I'm just in this phase where I process everything through the lens of being a mother. Love it. Um, I consider myself to be a fairly intelligent, self-aware human being. And hearing you say that about how we police reminds me that I'm not because some of this cultural behavior is so ingrained even in me. I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old and my three-year-old is like aware of her body now. And immediately my response is, ah! You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Versus like teaching her, this is what this body part is. And this is what it, you know what I mean? Versus mm-hmm. like, oh, don't touch it. It's dirty. It's not dirty. Right. So that's, and like what we don't uh, like, not even teaching them what the names of body parts are. Exactly. Right? Like, it's shame Or shame. what it's for. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm not that bad. What Never is she for? Called it shame, shame. What is she for? <laughs> Never have I ever called it shame, shame. Um, <laughs> nor do we call pee chichi. Okay, I just want to throw that out there. We call it pee and poop. No, All right, fishy, personal, fishy, and shame, shame. Pee oh and poop. God. All right. At least I'm doing something right. Um, second takeaway is the progressive Muslim community has a lot of work to do mm-hmm. here. And I love how you phrased it that we'll respect you, but we won't accept you. And I would mm-hmm. add to that. We'll respect you as long as you don't get too close. You know what right. I mean? Exactly. I'll respect you publicly. Cause it's like the mm-hmm. PC thing to do. Yeah. Um, so that that's another big takeaway. And finally the third, and I think this is the most important one for me. You're now the second person that we've had, Um, or that's mentioned this idea of intergenerational trauma for the parents and uh, going through the process of forgiving them because Mm -hmm. a lot of what they don't know, they don't know. And Mm -hmm. a lot of their behavior is learned. Um, But that said, I think collectively as a community, we really need to come together and develop some resources for parents in that particular position, right? Because at least you had the ability to go out and seek therapy and start the process of Mm -hmm. healing. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't even know if that's something that appears on their radar as a resource or as an outlet. Right. Mm -hmm. And even if it does, what are they going to go to betterhelp.com and say, I'm like a practicing Muslim who's having a hard time (laughs) reconciling my son's sexuality with my faith like that's a very niche thing so um and it makes me sad that we're in 2021 and we haven't developed these things but um i think it's really necessary i think it's really necessary we need to be able to teach 
or give our mm-hmm. parents and other generations the resources, the tools mm-hmm. to understand because it's a heavy thing to navigate alone. And and they're also they also need healing from the things that they've gone through in their lives. Right. I mean, exactly right. You know, well, I mean? that healing yeah. comes first, and only then can they start the secondary healing. Absolutely mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for giving me homework. It's fun. It's not what I was expecting on this Friday <laughs> afternoon conversation. Liza, <laughs> what are your life? Um, this one's a doozy, and and I'm a little shocked because this is something that I've been really wanting to talk about, and I like read a lot about and try to educate myself on. Um, I think it's the fact that I resonated so deeply with a lot of the things you were saying because it seems so relatable not to take away from your yeah not to take away from your like individual experience because i i don't know mm-hmm. what it's like to come out to my family or to be a queer muslim at that right but like it, it does it is it is very relatable i think you a lot of people whether or not they're queer will will understand the things that you've been through and, and we talked about this before we started recording but how the reason why i think your that article in particular impacted me so deeply is because I could see it. I could envision it. I could hear your dad's voice in my head because it sounded like every uncle I've met, right? Or like mm-hmm. every aunt's right. shock and silence in that mm-hmm. moment. You could feel mm-hmm. it was like a very visceral reaction to it. I think my biggest lesson learned is um, it's okay not to be okay. That there is very much this, especially in this era of like self-care and wellness and like oh do this do that and it's okay not to be okay Mm -hmm. right now especially the world demands it we are in a panoramic we are you know it's (laughs) it's fucked up but i think this is the time where you everybody just needs to recognize like we're going through some shit collectively like existentially um hell yeah and and that's like something that we all need to be very mindful of as we as we come out of this um this particular situation but also uh the this idea of like fake progressivism mm-hmm. uh the performativity of it yes. uh you see it across the spectrum whether yes. it's black lives matter or supporting queer folk in your life um i i i want to make sure that i do a better job of calling it out when i see it and I need to do a better job of being a practice and being an ally because allyship is not an identity. It's a practice. So mm-hmm. that's um, something I want to make sure I do in my, in my life. But again, thank you so much, Usman. I cannot be more grateful for your, for your, you sharing your story. Cause I know it's not easy, especially given mm-hmm. our culture and background and all of that stuff. Um, and I would love for you to share where people can find you on the socials. Of course. Thank you so much. Um, well, you did mention auntie and that reminded me, um, this is a direct message to whatever auntie has been screenshotting my tweets and sending them to my brother. Keep doing it. Thank you. Um, oh my God. Yes. My, <laughs> I'm going to follow find you me. on Twitter now. <laughs> yes. Tell me. I'm gonna look you up right now. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, my username's Uzi one two eight. Um, and there's a there's a link to like my Brown Girl articles and stuff there. Um, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, Uzi Bia spelled U Z Z Y B I A A. Um, and you can find me 
hanging outside of my window smoking a joint uh, in D.C. if you ever uh, are in an alleyway. Uh, but yeah. Usman, <laughs> it was such a pleasure. We look forward to reading more of your work. Your writing is so refreshing. Thank and you. thank you again. We really appreciate it. And I will just express, uh, I am feeling so amazing after this. And I know we talked about so much heavy shit, but I just want to recognize you guys for giving me the platform, asking me these fucking amazing questions, um, receiving the information in such an amazing way and just like giving me your tears <laughs> and love and bad bitch take them all from me please <laughs> i don't want them anymore <laughs> christ but yeah i'm just having the best kind of i'm feeling a lot of positive energy here and i'm 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 very grateful for it alhamdulillah that, that might have been me just following you on instagram and twitter just not <laughs> Oh my gosh, thank you again. New episodes drop every other Wednesday. You can check us out on Instagram at The Fundamentalist for the latest episodes, behind the scenes, and more. And listen, like, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Thanks for listening.